الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ومن الناس من يشي نفسه ابتغاء مرضات الله والله رؤوف بالعباد صدق الله العلي العظيم My dear respected and most honorable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. First of all, I humbly request the brothers who are scattered along the sides and towards the back to stand up and come and move forward. Barakallahu feekum. May Allah bless you. We want to create that sense of jama'ah and congregation and never be afraid of the front stuff. The Prophet ﷺ said, if you knew of the reward of the form of Saf, you would fight with one another to attain that reward. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless each and every one of you with that blessing and with that reward on Yom Al-Qiyamah. Before we begin, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this opportunity to congregate in his house, to worship him, to praise him, to glorify him, to send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we pray that Allah azza wa jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future. Last week we discussed the last journey that an individual takes. One certainty in life, we spoke about death and it was quite morbid especially for the young children. But it was a necessity that each and every one of us is going to ultimately take this journey. And we need to know about what it entails. Now, if you're going to a different country, or even if you're going to a different town, and you're going by car, or you're going by train, you're going by bus, or if you're going to a different country, you're going by plane. Ultimately, you're going to prepare for that journey, aren't you? So you're going to see, what time do I need to leave? Is there going to be traffic along the route? If there is, then what's the best time to leave? If it's a long journey, do, what type of provisions do I need to take with me? How long am I going to stay there at my destination? What am I going to miss at home? Then I need to ensure that all my matters and my affairs at home are settled. Every single thing we need to take into consideration. But when we take that final journey, that last journey, ultimately what should be the main focus is the Akhirah. We have to be thinking to ourselves, how are we going to attain that eternal bliss after we pass away? How are we going to reap the fruits of Jannah? How, how are we going to partake in the fruits of Jannah? And ultimately, if that is on your mind, then you're going to live your life, what? In accordance with the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet You're constantly going to be thinking about that. That's your final destination, the final destination. And in order for me to be successful there, I have to ensure that I plan for it now. But there's always a balance, right? We find people who are so focused upon the Akhirah that they lose sight of this dunya. 
they lose sight of the fact that they are here. They lose sight of the fact that they have responsibilities, financial, familial responsibilities. And we have others, the vast majority of us fall into this category, where we're so focused upon the dunya, we completely neglect the akhirah. We have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. We have absolutely no idea. We have no care, no thought do we give to the fact, and it is a fact, that we're going to be questioned for every single thing that we've done in this world. We're going to be judged for every single thing. So we cannot, we have to strike a balance. And the question is, how do we reconcile between the dunya and the akhirah? Between not completely depriving ourselves of the delights and the fruits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed upon this earth, while keeping our efforts focused upon realistically attaining the fruits of Jannah and being able to one day enter into the garden beneath which rivers flow. As always, we need to, in order for us to find an answer to that question, how do we reconcile? We need not look further than the Quran and the Sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The actions of the Sahaba and our pious predecessors, their examples or the way that they lived their lives, it was a perfect, they struck up, they found a perfect balance. They really did. And if they erred in their path, if they deviated somewhat, not due to their uh, bad character or immorality or anything like that the way we err but by mistake right unknowingly if they erred from their path they had the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to reel them back in and i'll give you an example three people came to the court of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam they came to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's blessed abode at the time and they asked the Prophet ﷺ how he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they asked Aisha, how does the Prophet ﷺ worship? And they heard unbelievable, they heard about the unbelievable feats of worship that the Prophet ﷺ accomplished. When Sayyidina Aisha would say that the Prophet ﷺ and worship, those two words are synonymous with one another. All the Prophet does is worship Allah Azza wa Jal. When she would inform them that he stands up in night, at night in worship to such an extent for such a long period of time that his blessed feet begin to swell. They heard about this, the magnificent feats of worship that the Prophet accomplished. And the Prophet ﷺ himself states, I send, uh, I, I ask forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a hundred times a day. This is a hadith mentioned in Sahih Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ does istighfar a hundred times a day. There's another hadith in, uh, in Tirmidhi which mentions that the Prophet ﷺ sends istighfar or makes istighfar one thousand times a day. 
and they will think to themselves, just like Sayyidina Aisha said to the Prophet when she saw the Prophet standing up at night, worshipping, worshipping continuously until his feet would begin to swell, and when she would massage them, and out of her care and love for the Prophet she would say, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, why do you do this when when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven for you your past and previous sins, i.e. you don't commit sin, you don't disobey the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then therefore what's the need for you to continuously pray? And the Prophet smiles, his beautiful smile, that in itself is enough to melt the hearts of the people. And what does he say? If that's the case, then should I not be a thankful servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? As he's blessed me with this maqam, he's blessed me with this station. And this is exactly what the companions used to think when the Prophet ﷺ would spend this unbelievable amount of time in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when they were sitting there and the Prophet, they saw the Prophet ﷺ, his amount of worship, and they heard about the amazing feats that the Prophet ﷺ accomplished during or within his worship, they were astonished. They said, this is, this is not, it's, it's not a possibility for us. It's unattainable. Because the Prophet ﷺ, if he does this much, then we have to, what do we have to do? We have to do more than that. We have to be do more than the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because he's forgiven. The Prophet ﷺ is a perfect being. He doesn't, he doesn't commit sin. He doesn't disobey the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whereas we do, we constantly sin. And we have to make up for it by, in, by doing or performing more acts of worship than the Prophet sallallahu As you know, we would, to coin the phrase, more Catholic than the Pope, right? More uh, in tune with the Quran and Sunnah, and uh, more worshipping, performing more acts of worship than the Prophet it's, it's a phrase, it's not something that is attainable, it's not something that each and every one of us, or in, in fact any one of us, can do. But nevertheless they had that intention, they said, you know, one of them said, when he left the house and he heard of all of the magnificent things that the Prophet was doing to attain proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of them came out of the house and there were three of them. And subhanAllah, in his sincerity, this is what it was, it was his ikhlas. It was his sincerity in which he said that, I, I, I'm going to fast perpetually. I'm going to fast and I'm not going to break my fast. As in when Maghrib time comes, I'm not going to break my fast, I'm going to continue to fast perpetually for days on end. And another one of them, he says that I'm going to stand up at night, I'm going to worship and I'm not going to sleep. The third one said, I'm not going to get married. Marriage is just going to take up too much of my time, my responsibilities, I'm going to have responsibilities, I'm not going to do that. Right? 
I'm not, I don't then have to worry about having children and then providing for them. I'm just going to engage in worship constantly from now until the day that I die. All these, these three individuals, they left the house and they began to do that which they set out to accomplish. This was then conveyed to the Prophet ﷺ by other companions who informed him ﷺ of their actions. The Prophet ﷺ, some of us would expect that he would be happy, right? He would think, subhanAllah, what noble companions I have, right? Who strive solely for the sake of Allah, who try so hard to gain proximity and closeness and nearness to him. SubhanAllah. You'd think that the Prophet ﷺ would make dua for them, but no. The Prophet ﷺ, not that kind of dua that we're expecting. The Prophet ﷺ called them. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said to them and he explained to them how this was not his path. This was not his way. He said, look at me to the one who said that he was going to fast and not break his fast. He said, I fast, and I break my fast also. The Prophet ﷺ said to the one who said he was going to stay up at night and constantly engage in worship and not going to sleep. He said to him, look, I stay up at night, I worship, but I also go to sleep for a period of the night, for a part of the night. To the one who said that I'm not going to get married, he said, what is And I I get married. And he who deviates from my sunnah, he's not from among us. He's not from me. He's not one of me. So the Prophet ﷺ informed them that albeit their intentions were noble and sincere, but the method that they were adopting was not conducive to either being healthy or to a good abode in Jannah. So the Prophet ﷺ was informing them that look, good, you have a noble and sincere intention that you want to attain the fruits of Jannah. You want to solely focus on the Akhirah. But where are you right now? You're here in this dunya. In one particular narration, the Prophet ﷺ informed them, look, your body has a right over you. Your ahl, your family has a right over you. Give them their time. This is when a woman came to the Prophet ﷺ and complained. She said, Ya Rasulullah, my husband is constantly engaged in worship. He pays no attention to me. He pays no attention to his family. And the Prophet ﷺ reprimanded him and said to him that, look, your body has a right over you, your family has a right over you. Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also ensure that you take care of your family in the best way possible. Because why? That's your jihad. That's your striving for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, in some cases, the ulama have stated that when an individual who has the opportunity, the time and the place to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
but he ensures that he takes care of members of his family and he dedicates that time to them in order for them to achieve that salvation that's far more rewarding than individual worship because that counts as collective worship so that's how the prophet sallallahu alaihi helped them reconcile between this dunya and between the hereafter allah subhanahu wa ta'ala islam does not want us to live our lives in isolation to cut ourselves off from society islam wants us to remain within our society within our communities and still establish and keep that connection with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ultimately with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and our religion allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want us to deprive ourselves of the things that Allah Azza wa has made halal for us. This is, this is one of the things that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam stated. That there were qawms, there were nations before you who made those things that were haram, they made them halal and those things that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala made halal for them, made permissible for them, they made them haram upon themselves. So therefore don't be among them. So those things that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has made halal for you, don't put restrictions upon yourself and upon your religion. Whereas our religion is easy. So the key to achieving that is to have Akhirah, the number one priority in your mind, to know that that's where you're going to end up. Therefore, that's that journey, right? That's the final abode, the final destination. But you have to prepare for it here. Because your endeavors in this dunya are ultimately going to determine your final destination in the Akhirah. What you do here is going to be reflected in your place in Jannah or not in Jannah. So you have to plan for that journey now. Imam Sufyan al-Thawri rahimahullah ta'ala and, and this is, listen to this, he said something quite profound. And I'll translate it for you. He said, Improve your secret and your private life. Improve it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will improve your public and your social life. Make matters well between you and Allah. Strengthen your connection between you and Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make matters well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will therefore will, will, uh, uh, will strengthen the connection between you and the people. He also goes on to state that work for the Akhirah, work for the hereafter, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be enough for you in your worldly affairs. Ay Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of and control your worldly affairs. This is why in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he states that those individuals who are constantly engaged in the pursuit of the dunya, there's, there's a, they, they, have, they have some marks on them. Those who don't care about the hereafter, they have some marks on them. And it's easily, they're easily identifiable. How? They're constantly working, constantly engaged in the pursuit of this dunya, constantly striving to and more money to be more successful in this dunya, completely neglecting the akhirah, absolutely giving it no thought. What's their mark? 
The Prophet ﷺ states that they're constantly striving to earn more and more and become more wealthier and wealthier. Yet, neglecting completely the Akhirah. Their mark is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make them so engrossed in the dunya and the pursuit of the dunya that they will constantly be striving for it but yet they will always remain in poverty. Always. And we find that how many brothers and, uh, that I've come across who have said to me, I'm sorry, I'm working two jobs, I'm working three jobs, I'm trying so hard, I'm trying to provide for myself and my family, and I'm constantly engaged in finding more and more work, but I still can't pay off my bills, I'm still uh, you know, drowning in debt and in misery. We find that. You know people. Maybe perhaps some of you might be that person. On the other hand, the Prophet ﷺ said that he who takes out time for the Akhirah, takes out time for that private life to make matters well, as Imam Safiyan Authority uh, uh, has stated, to strengthen his connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what will happen to him? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states that he will have little in this dunya, but it will be sufficient for him. He will never become poor. He will never fall into poverty. And we know that those individuals who engage in the pursuit of the Akhirah and have one eye on the Akhirah, this is why our scholars uh, would state one of my shaykhs, he would say, look, Islam doesn't tell you to have two eyes completely on the Akhirah and be blind in this dunya or have both eyes on the dunya and be blind of the Akhirah. Islam tells us have one eye on the Akhirah and have one eye on the dunya. Because you're living here. This is your preparation for the Akhirah. You have to have those, you have those, <coughs> excuse me, familial and financial responsibility and therein is your jihad. Therein is your constant strive in order to become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in order to attain that final destination. I'm just going to give you uh, very quickly uh, a few examples of those kind of models of success. Sometimes we think we have to make you know, uh, huge, magnificent gestures of piety and we're confused as to what taqwa and piety is. Right? Sometimes even the smallest of things that we can do and we can become successful in this dunya and ultimately be successful in the akhirah. And I'll give you a few examples very quickly from the life of the companions because there is no better example than the lives of the companions, those who lived with the Prophet There's a man um, who, who you might know. His name was Suhaib. Suhaib, uh, he's known in the biographies of the companions as Suhaib al-Rumi, Suhaib the Roman, but he was actually an Arab who was sold into slavery in Rome. And he lived there, uh, he worked there until he escaped and he came back to Mecca. And when he came back to Mecca, he was destitute. He had absolutely nothing. 
and he adopted some skills that he had acquired, some skills that he had learnt when he was in Rome. Uh, and he adopted those skills and he became a merchant. He began selling cloth and he became a successful merchant. So successful that he overtook all of the Arabs and he became the most successful from them. And people became jealous of Suhaib. Now Suhaib, he accepted Islam in Mecca. Suhaib then made the hijrah. And when he made the hijrah, he understood. He planned for that journey that <coughs> the ultimate destination was the uh, was the akhirah and look at his uh, the example of the man look at the measure of the man before he leaves he knows that he's got a lot of wealth and he has complete yaqeen in the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when the prophet alayhi salatu says we will return one day victorious right? we will return this is our home islam is going to be successful so he has firm belief in that. So you know what he does? He plans for that before he leaves. This is when he is leaving for the hijrah. Before he leaves, he takes all his wealth and he buries it at certain places in Mecca. He buries it. He thinks, I'm going to come back one day and then I'll usurp this and I'll use it. So he leaves with whatever he can take with him. And when the Quraysh hear that he's left, they come after him. And they chase him and <coughs> he goes up towards, he goes up upon a hill and they encircle him. They surround him around that hill so there's no escape. And he looks at them, he understands that, you know, there's no escape here. So he said to them, look, let me bargain with you. First of all, you know that I'm the best archer from among you. You know that as long as I have arrows and I have this bow in my hand and arrows in my quiver, I'm going to take down as many of you as I possibly can. You're going to suffer huge losses. So I want you to know that in advance. So let's come to an agreement. What is it that you want? And one of them says, Suhaib, where is your wealth? Suhaib, give us your wealth. Suhaib thinks to himself, I have now, I'm planning to go on the hijrah and meet the Prophet There, what I've left behind is my wealth. I plan to come back one day and to use it. I've spent my entire life gathering it. Right? But what's more important, he thinks to himself right now. He said, right now is more important for me to be with my beloved in Medina. So he says to them, this is, not a, this is not a question for me. He says to them exactly, he tells them the exact places that he's buried his wealth. He said to them, look, go to this place and dig there, you'll find it. There you'll find it. There you'll find it. They're happy with that. They say, okay, we, we, we take his wealth. They go back to Makkah. So he leaves. They let him go on his journey. They go back to Makkah and in the exact places that Suhaib mentioned, he could have, he could have, uh, deceived them by telling them some other places but he tells them the exact places where he's buried his wealth and then he leaves and he goes to Medina the companions in Medina state that after one of the prayers the Prophet وسلم, he went on to, to the outskirts of the city he went to the outskirts of the city and he just began to wait there and stand there looking into the, the open space 
And some of the companions say, we were with him. And we just patiently stood there with the Prophet waiting, but not asking why or what we're waiting for. And they say, slowly in the distance, we see a figure, a small, tiny figure approaching us. And it gets closer and closer and closer. And when it gets close enough for us to make out who this individual is, um, before we've even gathered or made out who this man is, the Prophet ﷺ opens up his arms. And the Prophet ﷺ, what does he say? He says, Rabihat tijaratuka ya Aba Yahya. What a beautiful transaction you have made, O oh, Abu Yahya. And Abu Yahya was his kunya of uh, Sayyidina Suhaib al-Rumi. What a beautiful transaction you have made. You've sold this world or a piece of this dunya to buy a piece of the akhirah. And it is about him, the verse of the Qur'an, About him, this verse was, was revealed. And from among the people, there are those who will sell themselves to buy the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and this is how he achieved a small measure of success. There, there were a few other examples of success that I wanted to give to you, but unfortunately we don't have the time. Inshallah we'll continue this, this discussions of models of success and learning from the lives and of the companions. Uh,